Joe came home and he sees me dressed and he goes, um, it's 10. And I go, yeah, I got to go to Brooklyn, sign in, get my paperwork done. And four, um, been assigned to ground zero. No, you haven't. Yes, I haven't. Don't we usually discuss things? I says, yeah, but you've been too busy. And he looked at me and goes, I don't want you to go. And I said, well, where would you be? We got into the car and he would not speak to me. We got to Brooklyn and he opened the door and he said, you sure I can't convince you? I said, uh, will you stop going? And he got back in the car and said, I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. I said, good. I said, we're not winning any fight here. It's just something I need to do. Welcome to an army of normal folks. I'm Bill Courtney. I'm a normal guy. I'm a husband, a father, an entrepreneur, and I'm a football coach in inner city Memphis. And the last part unintentionally led to an Oscar for the film about our team. It's called Undefeated. I believe our country's problems will never be solved by a bunch of fancy people in nice suits using big words that nobody understands on CNN and Fox, but rather by an army of normal folks, us, just you and me saying, hey, I can help. That's what Sonia Agron, the voice we just heard, has done. After the 9-11 terrorist attacks, Sonia volunteered at the toxic rubble of Ground Zero to help support the recovery and cleanup effort. And this duty she felt that her husband Joe could not stop tragically resulted in a steep personal price that you'll soon hear about. And yet, despite that, Sonia would do it all over again. And she's still volunteering through a world of pain. I can't wait for you to meet Sonia right after these brief messages from our generous sponsors. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, 
and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Sonia, how are you? I am doing just fine. It is wonderful to meet you. Um, I, I've been been looking forward to talking with you. I've got so many questions for you. Um, but this is an army of normal folks, and I'm just looking at this bubbly <laughs> lady sitting across from me, and to be thinking that I'm speaking to you in the shadow of... Um, Freedom Tower right now is even more surreal for me. And uh, we'll get into why that's important in a minute. But first, where'd you come from? Where'd you grow up? Who, oh. who is who is Sonia the little girl? Uh, Sonia was uh, born and raised in the South Bronx. In South Bronx? Yep, South Bronx. Is there a difference in North? I'm from Memphis. Yes, it is. Is there you... a difference in North and South Bronx? Yeah. Uh, okay. Of course, North Bronx is on the other side, and South Bronx is on the, oh, I would say in the beginning, when you get off the highway, there you are in the South Bronx. Well, so. it, back when you grew up there, is there a difference in the... Um, and the nationalities of people? Oh, no, no, no. When I grew up, dear Lord, we had Italians, Irish, Blacks, uh, Latinos. Um, it Just was a real a life melting pot. board of people. Yeah. And, you know, for us, it was like, let's learn how to do this. Let's learn how to do that. It was amazing. And so then, it was a microcosm of New York, really. Absolutely. It was just so beautiful. And it's gone. Is it? It is gone. It, it's lost that identity now? Absolutely. A lot of places, I would say, except maybe Little Italy, mm -hmm. has lost that culturism that we all were a part of. No, we didn't see racism. We didn't have people talk down to us. Um, it, it was just, it was just one big, it was a village. It, it was a village. It and so village. that's, that's, and that's where you grew up. And did you go to school? And Yes. I, uh, all my life, I went to St. Pius Elementary School. St. Pi Pius? The fifth, let's not forget the fifth. Okay. And St. Pius, the fifth high school. Got it. And when you graduated high school, what did Sonia want to do? Well, experience at that time taught me I didn't want to be in a Catholic school anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I turned down uh, college applications and right. decided to just go work. I wanted to be free from all of that guilt that they were putting in you. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't take four more years of this, which is a regret. Okay. It is a regret. But you, so you went to work. I went to work for an insurance company, and then my mom didn't like that, so she pulled me out and put me in a multi-service company that services the entire area for services that the city or the government won't provide. So you you grow up in the Bronx. Do you, you have siblings? Oh, well, I'm the baby, so there's four more for me. Four um, more before you, yes. so five. Uh, yep. 
Yeah. Just a, a good old Catholic family having having kids. Absolutely. What what was your what was the your your mother and father what they did? Well, my father was a shoe cobbler. He made shoes. Um really? this was right after he got out of the Korean War. Uh-huh. Um and he stayed doing that for several years. My mother worked with him and then um sadly my dad got sick and mom had to stay home and take care of him and us at the same time. Oh my goodness. Yeah. All but you know it was just But you didn't know any difference. It was it was normal. Yeah. You just us. grew up big tight Catholic family. Yeah. It was I imagine normal. dinner was pretty good. Oh, hot diggity dog, yes. <laughs> hot diggity dog, yes. I mean well, Okay, what was your mom's best dish? Oh my gosh. Her chicken and rice. Okay. But she okay. chicken and rice doesn't sound Italian to me. You're starting to upset It's not me. Italian, it's Puerto Rican because we would go to the live chicken store and they would you know, turn the neck of the chicken and we had... in the Bronx, you'd get a live yeah, chicken. It's, it's called and the bibero. The chicken's neck. My no, we didn't. The, the, no, the butcher did. Uh-huh. Um, and then they would defather him, and then we would have homemade chicken soup with the leftover of whatever we put in the rice and the beans. Well, because you said Italian and Irish and everything. Else, oh no, I'm I the Latin thinking, part. Well, no, I was thinking Italian foods, but so your heritage, Puerto Rican. Yes, yes. I got it. So it wasn't just Italian and Irish; it was Puerto Rican. Uh, it was yeah, we, I, I always say Latinos because Latinos. it covers everybody. Yeah, yeah. Wow. What a way to grow up. I loved it. So I loved it. you ended up getting married to this guy. Yeah, which was odd. Um, I have known him. He was a family friend. Uh-huh. And I knew him. And he had been married. Um, and he would always talk to me. He just What's thought his he name? was Tell Joe. Us. Joe Agron. And Joe he always was also from the Bronx. Yeah. Yes. Isn't everybody from the Bronx named Joe? <laughs> No, there are some places elsewhere there in Italian neighborhoods. You have a lot of Giuseppe's there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So but how did you he meet was Joe? a family friend? Um, and there were times when I would, you know, I was a party girl. I would come home at six. You were a party. Girl. Yes, I was. <laughs> Hold it, but you're uh, you, a Catholic school girl. Uh, this party. was way after. You know, oh, I found my wings, and my only thing was that I loved to dance and I loved to go out to different restaurants. <laughs> That's just what the girls wanted to do, and we hated doing that with guys because they would just bother us yeah it's such but a drag. my husband at midnights would see me leave and then he'd see me come back and he would start lecturing me like a dad and i used to tell him my dad's gone you don't have to replace him <laughs> um <laughs> and then one day actually he told my sister that he was interested in me but i kept turning him away because I didn't want any baggage, you know, married, uh, well, divorced and a child. I'm like, you know. You didn't need all that. No, and plus he was a cop. Yeah, a cop. I mean, yeah. who wants to date a cop? No, and he was so serious. All the time. And he's but, a Vietnam vet, I read. Uh, you no, know, he served during the Vietnam War. His brother a- was a vet, and then his mother pulled the Sullivan Act. Oh Called the congressman and said, I don't want my boy to go. Who wants to date that guy? Uh, well, I did. <laughs> Apparently <laughs> it happened. I didn't because I just felt too much luggage. You yeah, know, I sure. don't want that. Yeah. Um, and then one day my sister said, he has something to tell you. And he came to the apartment and I said, what? And he's a friend by now. Right. He says, well, there's somebody I like that you know. And I want to know, how should I go about asking her? And I this said. This was his approach to you? Yes. So I said. 
I know this person. Now I'm feeling really bad because I really, really did like him. And now he likes somebody that I like. And I'm like, oh. And then I said, just tell her you like her and you want to take her out. You want to see how far this goes. And he repeated it. And I said, yeah, great. You got it. Yeah, I want to, I like you and I want to take you out. I want to see how far this goes. Yeah, great. Second time's great. You don't have to do it again. Yes, I do. I like you. And I want to take you out and see where it goes. And I just started to mumble like, me? <laughs> really me? And he had a call. He went back. I went up to meet his sister and she said, he does really like you, but you just keep turning him away. And I go, well, what do I do now? He's a family friend who dates their friends. <laughs> and well, well, here we are 38 years later. What, um, how old were you? <laughs> I was 22, 22, to his 29. Got it. Oh, he robbed the cradle. He surely did, and I always he, remind him. He robbed him the cradle of the party girl. Yeah. The cradle. Well, that stopped. <laughs> I got it all out of my system, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, we all did, right? He was just a great addition to a life that I wanted to have because I was getting tired of the partying. You know what? That story, the whole thing is awesome because this is an army of normal folks. And I'm not spending time interviewing fancy, smart politicians that use big words that I, I look, if it's more than three syllables, I have a problem with it anyway. Mm -hmm. Cause so, and you know, you are a Bronx girl, one of five, grew up going to Catholic school and didn't go to college, went to work and ended up marrying a cop and <laughs> divorced with a child, <laughs> divorced with a child. But, you know, I mean, just a you're just a, a normal gal trying to forge a life in our country. Absolutely. is who you were. So half of your marriage is a cop and the other half ends up getting into emergency medical services. I was always working um, at ministry. I was working in McGraw Hill, different, different companies. And one day there um, on my lunchtime, a woman just collapsed on the street. Um, remember, we didn't have cell phones, any of that. And people just walked by her. And I Are you serious? Oh, yeah. That, that's hold it, hold it. I've heard those stories. But when you say walk by... You mean acted like they didn't even see the Absolutely. person? And okay, I see that that makes me crazy. That was to me disgraceful because it that could have been my mother. Right. And she was Or your daughter. Absolutely. It could have been anybody I knew or even someone I well, I didn't know. Right. And she was she, she must have had a fainting spell, but she was confused. She was sitting on the sidewalk and you know, I called there was a steak shop and I screamed out and I said, Can you call nine one one please? And I asked her questions. So did you go kneel by her? I just, stood by her and I asked her to give to me her. numbers to see if there was anyone I could call. And all she did was hold my hand. She was trembling. And she said, I just got a little faint. I said, are you sick? I asked her all these questions. And but then, of course, you have no training. You're no, just being a... This is what you're supposed to do. Yeah, it's just being a, a kind you know, person. I was just sad for her that she, I didn't know if she had family or not. But what if she didn't? How would she get home? How would anyone help mm -hmm. her? And so I... They called the ambulance and I stayed with her and I just jotted down on a napkin um, everything she had told me. And this was a number in case she passes out. And I wasn't allowed to go on the bus at the time. But that was, but that was kindness. But did that spark something oh, oh, for you? Oh, uh, immediately. I started looking up medical 
jobs. And at that time, you had to take a training for EKG. Then you had to take a training for being a phlebotomist. Then you had to take a training for this. And I had all my certificates and I still wasn't happy. And so my husband, he would become my husband then. He would say, well, why don't you try you know, EMS or the police department. And I tried the police department, went through everything. And I guess my husband didn't think I would manage. And he said, oh, no, there's only room in this family for one. You make me nervous. <laughs> I, I would always worry about who are you going to go after? Um, and I said, so I'm going to go EMT school. It's it's what I want He may to not have wanted his wife to have a gun in the house. He didn't. Yeah. No, he didn't. Uh, I mean, when he, well, the decision was made by me when he took me to the range and I had to shoot. Yeah. And I said, yeah, no, there's no way I'm ever going to do that. <laughs> I'm not comfortable with that. No, no you know, no. I can't run fast but enough. It, but it led to? It led to me going to uh, EMS. And I, <laughs> when I graduated, it was one of the most proudest days of my life because now be. I'm accomplishing something, not just working for money and put a roof over my head. And it was, uh, if I was able to go back, I would go back in a heartbeat. I love that job. And now a few messages from our generous sponsors. But first, we're now offering premium memberships for the Army of Normal Folks. For 10 bucks a month, you'll receive special benefits such as being invited to a private yearly call with other premium members and me, access to monthly Ask Me Anything episodes, and occasional bonus audio. If you're interested in this, I hope you go to normalfolks.us and click on premium. But guys, that's really not what it's about. You get all that cool stuff and we're going to provide all that stuff. But the truth is, we're trying to, to grow the army of normal folks and have a greater impact on the country. And with the premium memberships, we can fuel our marketing efforts to grow it. This podcast peaked at number 10 on Apple's podcast chart in all of the U.S., which is absolutely crazy. And it's not about me. It's about the guest and it's about you. So we've decided to set an exciting new goal of trying to be on Apple's top shows chart for our entire first year, which will mean more attention, more listeners, more Army members, and most importantly, more impact. But we need you, as always. So go to normalfolks.us and click on premium if you're down to help. If not, just keep listening. We'll be right back. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. 
Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. So... Here we go. Uh, and, and then at some point, you guys have a daughter, I think? We had a daughter in, gee, you're making me go too far back, in 1985. Okay. <laughs> so she's in the 30s now. Okay. So what we have is we've got Joe and Sonia married with a daughter. One's a cop, one's an EMS person, and you guys are just doing the doing the life, right? For us, that that was it. But that's a great life. Everything's normal, and you're you're cruising down normal Americana Street. Absolutely, living the dream. Absolutely. And nine eleven comes. Well, I was retired by then, but because of an accident, and I just became a perpetual volunteer. I knew where they needed help. That's where I was. So nine eleven was my husband's fifty first birthday, and that morning, his only job I assigned him jobs <laughs> was to take our daughter to school, come home, turn on the TV, and relax until I got back. I was in Manhattan. Um, we were going to celebrate his day, and I was in the NBC building. And we were told to evacuate. Nobody was telling us why. I'm thinking, gas leak. I'm a New Yorker. I know how this works. And then wall-to-wall people, fighter jets, and I knew something was wrong. Oh, you saw the fighter jet in the sky? Yes. This was in Midtown. And suddenly my cell phone rang up. And the only odd thing about that in our family, we we didn't want everyone to have a cell phone. So whoever went out that day got the cell phone. Got it. So I got it. And he called me and he said, listen to me carefully. We're at war. Um, We're under attack. You need to take the next bus out and stay away from the trains. But we got cut off. Was he worried that the trains were going to, the train yes. station would be involved? Yes, he said that. Because this is fresh. It's just happening. Well, he had he had done a lot of training for disorder control, and that include biohazard things. And he was, he didn't say Sonny, that. was the, he on the job? On the first failed attempt yes. back in, when 93. was it, 93? Yes, he was. So and when he came home that day, the, the day after, and I, I don't think I'll ever forget the look on his face, he said, they're not done. They'll be back, and we better be prepared because they're going to do more damage than they did then. So when it really happened, his call to you was, uh, he, he knew. He, and I guess I guess you had to have known. I, no, I, I, at first... I thought gas leak, but when I saw, I couldn't even turn around. There were so many people. Right. And I saw the fighter fighter jets, and I thought, we're in deep trouble. But I never thought it was the World Trade Center because they hit it once. So I said this. So when he he called you and said, don't take the trains, we're at war, listen to me carefully, and it got cut off, 
Did you did you know then it was the World Trade Center? No. You still didn't know. No. Nope. All you knew was all hell was breaking loose somewhere, and your husband, who had a direct line being a cop to what was going on, was telling you to go home. Yep. And that was all you knew then. Uh, yep. And then I went which, to... Which says to me, I mean, how many, not the exact number, but how many people on a given day are running around Manhattan? Oh, thousands. Millions, that, right? Uh, more than that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so... I'm thinking of you standing there with a group of people with sirens going off. There are literally millions of people who at this point, unless you're at the World Trade Center on this island, you really don't know what's going on. It's a lot of confusion. We thought of bombs. We thought... What kind of bombs? Like somebody dropped a bomb well, or somebody bombed something? We're thinking of 1993. Somebody put a bomb in a building. There are going to be several buildings. That's why they evacuate us because we're one of the tallest and, buildings. And I'm, I'm, I'm imagining this. If you're standing in this group of people all pushed out, there's fighter planes up there. People are probably all getting calls from someone who's closer to it. So you probably are all talking to each other about, you know, what is this? What is that? We're hearing. I'm hearing it. But my goal was... Now, I don't do everything my husband tells me to do, but when he tells me, get out or duck, that's what I do. And I ran to the bus stop, and it was like a ghost town. Buses kept driving. There was nobody in there. They were not allowed to pick up anybody because the city had shut down. So the buses weren't... Nothing was Which Which leads me to the images of all the people. I remember... Look, I'm from Memphis, okay? And... um. I believe rarely, but sometimes there are things that happen that that affect our national consciousness. And a guy from Memphis and a gal from the Bronx are rarely brought together and become kindred spirits Mm -hmm. as Americans. But that day did. And I remember where I was on that day. And and but my reality is from images that the news like most Americans, we weren't here, but I do remember the picture of all these people walking across a bridge. And I always thought, why are they walking? And of course, they can't catch a cab, or maybe they can't get to the car. But now I, I just now understand one, you're afraid to go on the subways and the trains, because I guess as New Yorkers, you're trained, that's a pinch well, that, point. We didn't have a choice. The mayor had shut down the entire city. We shut down the trains, city, too. Everything. So you couldn't even get on a bus. So the only way to get the hell out of here was walk. Walk or jump into the Hudson River, which many Which is probably ill-advised. Tom Hanks, no, Tom Hanks has a beautiful um, story that he does on YouTube where it's called The Unsung Heroes, where many people bought their pleasure boats, even their... Across. Across. And people were jumping in. They didn't realize when they got out of the buildings that if they went upwards that was the end of manhattan people were able to get through all the bridges and tunnels but if you got out and ran to your left you were stuck that's the end of manhattan so many friends of mine actually tell me the story of how they jumped in the water they just they just kept seeing all these images and they needed to get out they didn't care how and that's desperation that's fear so Joe calls and says, listen to me, we're at war. Don't get in the trains and find a way to get home, basically. Yeah. And you do. I, and But you don't hear from... I don't find a way to get home until maybe four. I'm stuck. 
Um, and I guess my training kicked in. Where would I find accurate information? Because too many people were saying too many things. Right. And that wasn't accurate. And I decided I'm going to go to a hotel. I'm gonna, they have to have TVs. And I'm going to be able to hear clearly. And when I sat down, at that point, I don't even remember the time, but I'm going to assume it was the South Tower that went down. And then um, I'm just sitting there in shock. Is it a replay? Or what? And it must have been a replay because now we're hearing about Shanksville. Well, we're hearing about the Pentagon. And then the North Tower, go, uh, no, then the South Tower does. So then it was the North Tower. You see how hard that is for me to figure out. It's, that's one thing that bothers me. Is sometimes my memory is cute. I, I write things down. And when I saw all this happen, automatically it clicks when he says we're at war. Because I didn't understand when he said it to me. And I said, well, where is he calling me from that he knew so much information? And at that moment, I thought, he's gone. And I realized he was down there. I didn't think anything about my daughter. I was, I was just trying to absorb the fact that my husband was gone on his birthday. And I continued to watch and watch, no phone calls, nothing. And at the bottom of the TV, the mayor put out a message that, that he was opening up the city for about an hour or two. And I ran, got a cab got home. And now I'm thinking, I don't have my car. How do I get to my daughter? Where is my daughter's phone? Aren't, phones aren't working. Now what? But when I got home, she was there. And I realized at that moment, he must have picked her up when he heard the very first account. It hadn't been, it was alleged that a plane had hit the building. We didn't have any other news. He picked up his keys because he knew this is it. This is what we've been waiting for for eight and a half years. And he picked our daughter up, dropped her off. And she was sitting there and she watched everything. And when mom didn't come home, she thought- She's wondering if she's lost her family. Yeah, she thought I went to respond because even though I was retired, once a first responder, always a first responder. We don't give that up. So- when she, when you walk in, she thought I was a ghost. Yeah, she was like, she was "Wow!" In shock. And but what's interesting then? Now you and your daughter are there. Now the two of you are wondering about Joe. And that actually didn't last until maybe five, because he did call, and but his voice was different. I've answered jobs with my husband, and I know his voice. And he's saying, baby, it's bad. It's dark. And I'm looking out my window. Where are you that it's so dark? And he says, it's a war zone. I can't see my hand. And his voice is so different than anything I've ever heard. And I can hear the background radio. And he says, listen, it's, it's really bad. I, I'm, I, I, sometimes I don't even know where I am and I have to collect my thoughts. Did he say I'm at? At, this tower or that tower? No, he said, I'm, he said, I'm getting a break at 10, and I will call you then. I am near Tower 7 setting up for the National Guard. Got it. And we hung Hold up. it. The Tower 7 collapsed. Yes, but this Had is it collapsed before by it them? collapsed. He, okay, so when he fire. calls you, Tower 7's still standing, it and is. he's setting up for the National Guard. Right. And all you know is it's bad, and you know you're strong cop husband but i'm good because daddy's okay but you hear in his voice and i'm the thinking seriousness. of the site got it you know he i know tower seven's across the street right and at one point after that the phone rings again there's no service 
But he got through because of Nextel, the walkie-talkie yeah. phones. Sure. And the next thing I get another call and I'm like, okay, he needs to talk again, which we were so happy to hear. And it was a friend from out of town. And as she's talking, I realize, wait a minute, she got through. And I'm giving her everybody's number at home. Call them. I can't get through. You can watch TV. Everything is now live. Right. He's near Tower 7. And that's when I was informed Tower 7 went down. And I I don't remember how we hung up. I just remember grabbing my daughter because she was saying how... How horrible is this that we were allowed to say, I love you and happy birthday, and he's gone. And it was that moment that I needed her to realize. I couldn't be anybody but a mom at that time. And I needed her to understand that there were thousands of people that were never going to get that last goodbye. And we did. And I said, we're going to hold on to that. Because if he called and he said he's calling at 10, he's going to call. So we sit, we pray, and we do whatever we can so spiritually we can bring people back home and we did that and And he never called and so we thought he was you know you've lost your husband and your daughter knows she's lost her father i didn't tell her i um well she knew she she, what i kept telling her was come on you know he's busy this tower just went down Uh, he's running you're trying to reassure her which is a bunch of bs because inside your heart and head but i had to be a mom i get it i couldn't see her what good was it that both of us were freaking out and then um i just remembered thinking i didn't want the daylight to come because that meant i was a widow and my i would be a single mom but there's a twist to the story which is he came home he came home miraculously um, i didn't recognize him he was covered in that gray suit. He just managed to watch his face. And my husband came home, but his heart and soul was back there. He couldn't talk. He was just totally, he was not the man I kissed goodbye the day before. And he wouldn't speak much except to say that he was injured and I had to fix him up. I what made, was his injury? Um, he had fallen down about four flights. The floor was actually very weak. He had fallen down about four flights of stairs, and it looked like whoa, his- whoa, 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 whoa. So let me get this. And let me just say this now, and to our listeners and to you, and I think now's a good, good time for me to get on my soapbox for a minute. Um, nine of... For people probably 35 years and, and older, we remember where we were. Um, and, and it's kind of like all, my grandparents always talked about they remembered where they were during Pearl Harbor. And then the next generations come along, and certainly they know historically what happened at Pearl Harbor, but they didn't feel it, not like my grandparents did. And I still, be- before we sat down for our chat today I walked around the corner and uh, I looked up at the building and I just uh, I don't want to sensationalize the story for the for the purposes of trying to make a podcast that is interesting Um, and so that's not what my next questions and thoughts are going to be about but in the same respect I feel like everybody in their young 30s mid 30s to my children they they see every year on the anniversary of 9-11, the images on TV, and they know two buildings were hit by planes and they burned down. But they don't feel what I felt, and they sure as hell don't feel what you felt. 
being here. And, and, and I feel like if we lose that collective consciousness as a nation, um, we risk a lot. And so I'm going to ask you some questions, but it, again, it's not to sensationalize it. It's because I want our listeners to try to feel this. And he came home with soot all over him. And you say he fell down four flights of stairs, but how, how do you fall down four flights of stairs? The floors were very weak. Um, I still don't know the building he was in or if it was just some It had place. to have been near seven. Yeah. Well, I don't even know when he fell. I don't know where he fell because my husband hasn't spoken well, to Well, something me had to that. have collapsed for him before. Yes. So he was in a collapsing building. Somewhere. But he he can never get there to tell me. Okay. But I saw he the still injury. to this day can't speak no, about it. It's a lot he won't talk about. I understand. But that's, but that's I did find a way. PTSD, right? Yeah. We didn't even know we had it. I understand. We didn't know we had it. But, but so he fell and he came when he came home, it was not a joyful reunion. And he's blank from what he's witnessed, but he wants you to fix him up. Why didn't he just go to the hospital? Well, he couldn't because they would have reported it back to NYPD and then NYPD would not have allowed him to go back to the site. So he came to his wife who has this emergency medical training. Fix him up so he can go back. It says, fix me so I can go back. He, because if I go to the hospital, they wouldn't I can't him. go back and serve. And his I'm whole goal back. was to save somebody and he didn't. And his that's always what he did. What was wrong with him? What was his injury? He, when I cut his pants off, he had a very deep gash on the side of his knee, and it looked like his knee had moved. And it was it looked horrible. And I told him, that's above my pay grade. And he says, well, you don't have to fix it, but I'm going back. And I just took out my kit and did butterfly stitches and taped him up. And I said, you have to go to the doctor. Did you have Novocaine or anything? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. You stitched him up. Wrong. Butterfly stitches. They're, they're not actually needle and thread. They're just butterfly stitches. I held the skin together and crossed them over. I put a ton of bacitracin, and I covered him as best as I could. And I said, you need to go because this is going to get infected. You're going to get infected in that side. And, and so if, did he get, did he, what did he do, shower, get a bite to eat, and then he leave? took a shower, didn't eat, sat on the sofa, and he goes, okay, this is my schedule. I'm going. We were speechless. Like, why are you going back? Didn't you fulfill your... This is how we're thinking. And he's saying, oh, this is not going to happen. We're not going to fix this up in 24 hours, honey. I don't even know if we're going to come back from this. We'll be right back. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. 
Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. So, um, Alex, our steam producer, does really good work on prepping stuff. And, and in that prep, I read that he did say very briefly, it's bad, the stench is horrible, soot is everywhere, and body parts. Is that, am, am I paraphrasing? Is that no, right? No, no, um, you're not. He, um... I should have bought it. I'm sorry. There's a picture of him standing in front of Brooks Brothers with his sergeant, and that's a clothing store. Mm -hmm. And he had to bring his team in through several areas that the police department had cleared. And he was kicking a couple of things that he thought were mannequins, and they weren't. And his heart breaks because he said, I didn't get to bring anyone home. That one thing I kicked could have been closure for a family member. And it was all over the place. And he just... To this day, he even wonders about his partners. Were they in pieces? And it's it's hard not to think about that because that's a, that's something people don't know. No, and see, this is is that's just, that's just gut wrenching. But I feel like it's something I've heard so many interviews and, and read so much about. But we don't talk about this enough, in my opinion, because as hard as it is to think about and hear. If you don't understand this, you don't understand the the depth of this attack. No, they don't. Why were there body parts on the ground? When the buildings went down, they went down hurricane wind forces. So we have 110 floors. We were losing 10 floors per second. So those towers went down in 12 seconds. And so if you were in the way... You were pulverized. And this was mostly from the top, maybe as the towers kept going down, it just took people with them. Some some whole bodies were found, but not until months later. And you were, I hate to say you were lucky, but if you were in, in the higher floors, there was a chance they would find a good portion of your body. If you were on the lower floors, there was no chance. What if you were just outside the buildings? If it was hurricane form, the sheer power an energy created by the falling building, even if you were a hundred feet or two hundred feet away from the actual rubble you would of the have been building. Blown away. 
the wind would rip you, you would apart. Have been, people who were on the cars. Um, at one point, my when my husband called um, earlier that day, I kept hearing him do a spitting sound, which, you know, like, what are you doing? And he says, I'm just pulling concrete stuff that came in my mouth when the second tower went. So now I know he was there for the second tower going down. And he won't talk about it anymore. He, he, I know that I heard him tell one of his friends, which I have made a point to bring a lot of his friends back into his life, where he says, you know, what could I do but run? These, this cloud was chasing us, and you could, it was, that's what he was talking about, the darkness. And he kept saying, I've never seen anything like this before. And, and do they feel some kind of weird guilt because they had to run? Yeah. My husband does. He's what out. else are they going to do? Well, Stand there and die? That's what I told him. And he said, it was coming after us. And as I'm running, I'm trying to get people to run with me. But he would feel guilty. Um, he would start feeling guilt about two or three weeks later when the mayor finally said it was no longer rescue and recovery. It was just recovery. And that's when he had to accept his friend was gone, his partner. Um, he trained with him, did a lot of things with him. And he goes, I can't, I can't accept that he's gone and I'm not. And as a wife, I want to tell him that's kind of a blessing. You, you, you live to talk about it. And he goes, I'm not talking about this. No one would ever believe it because we're cops. This is our job. So the the firefighters, the the police, the port authority, all the first responders there that day. I, again, not to sensationalize it, but um, I mean, before the buildings fell, there were people on the top of these towers that had a choice to make, which is die by my flesh melting or, or jump. jump, and they did. And I, I remember reading something that said that um, one of the most horrific sounds of the day was the thud of bodies hitting the ground. And there are videos constantly. where you hear that. With What's the fire. that? There are videos where you hear that. Um, the firefighters are looking up and you can hear the thud. And we had one of those vid videos at the 9-11 Tribute Museum and we turned the sound off because family members would come to visit the museum and we didn't want them to think, was that my son, my mother, my daughter? So we had that to- thud. Yeah, we didn't want to do that. Um, and then we also had an airplane window and we didn't identify what plane it was because we didn't want any family member to come in and wonder if their loved one was sitting next to that window. And so these first responders, the ones that survived the day- They're not surviving. They survived that day, just that day. It. I will tell you, um, they started dying on 9-11, except we didn't know. And, you know, first the PTSD gets you, then you have the um, what we call the World Trade Center bark. It's a cough we all have. When we wake up in the morning or soon after that, we were pulling things out of our nose that were dark and slimy. We just didn't understand. And then we had our own government tell us the air quality was safe. And that's because Wall Street had to open. So, you know, they needed the money. But money was more important than lives. We're going to get to that in a second because that's part of the beauty of what you've done with this. But, um, again, 
uh, not to overdo it, but the bottom line is if you survive the day and you're a first responder, now what you're doing is you're literally stepping over, not just, you're not just cleaning up debris and rubble. You're cleaning up pieces of human beings. You're cleaning up horrific things that, that we are, that caring, loving human beings just can't ever unsee or unfeel. Can't unring a bell. Right. Just can't. Okay. So for those of you who are listening and think 9-11 was just about two planes flying into two buildings because some terrorists decided to attack us, that's true. But the other truth is that more people have died as a result of the cleanup and since the day of 9-11 and actually died on the day of 9-11. This is true. So the truth is the attack is not quit killing even no. these 20-something years later. 9-11 didn't end for us. 9-11 didn't end for us. It still continues. It's continuing to this day. And we are told, um, especially some wives... Um, I have two stories. My husband is sick and I was a recovery worker. I'm sick. But when people don't know that and they know that Joe was there, they go, what, what are you crying about? He came home. And huh. they, they make you feel guilty. Because he's probably reliving it every single oh, Well, they day. don't know that. They just feel I'm ungrateful that he came home. Look at all the other women that don't have husbands. And I'm like... Does he have survivor's guilt? <laughs> Big time. Not just for his... Um, his police officer friends, but for people. Do you have survivor's guilt? No. Um, it, I don't know. I just feel that I could have done more. I should have gone before. I should have. I was so close. I could have just walked over and helped. Um, my thought process was get home to your daughter. You know, that's always been his job. You know, um, but after that, what... What went wrong with me? I was in a respite center um, with the Red Cross. Well, hang on. Now, now, let me let me explain that. So, as a normal person from the Bronx who grows up and marries this guy <laughs> and has this love affair and starts off this normal American life and just a normal person living a life... Um, you know, this 9-11 interrupts and changes the rest of your lives forever. Um, so Joe keeps coming home night after night with this filthy and blank stare on his face. And you have this EMS training and you decide you're going to volunteer with the Red Cross and and work in these centers. Um what was Joe's response to that? Well, he was very angry. He was angry. Super angry. Was he angry because he was trying to protect you? He just didn't yeah, that want was, you to be no, part of it? No, that was it. That was it. It wasn't that I was going because he has never told me I couldn't go anywhere. Okay. Um, but he asked me why. And I said, because I lied to our daughter. Um, for days after 9-11, um, I would take her to school. 
and she didn't want to go to school. And I gave her this big patriotic talk about terrorism and how we can't let them win. And if she didn't go to school, they you're being tough, mom. I was tough, loving mom. But I didn't believe one word I said. I just needed her to go to school and be 16. So I would, after she went to school, I would drive underneath some trees and sit there until it was time for her to get out. And every day I lied. I was, I had a great day, and I did this, and I did that. Until one day she came out of school and said, Mom, we're going to be okay, but you know I can see you out the window. She saw you parked on oh, the her friends. <laughs> I thought it was so cool. Were you in the car crying? I was crying. I was listening to music. I, so, I, so your daughter is in school and she's looking out at your mom sitting in the car. After I'm telling her that out. she shouldn't do this. Right, yeah. And so I felt I sent her the wrong message, and I just called a few people. And before I know it, you're going to Brooklyn. And <laughs> I mean, back then, that's not a funny story. No, no. Right it, now, it's fun. I laugh about that's it actually all the very time. Funny. <laughs> and then one day, Joe came home, and he, and he sees me dressed and goes, um, it's 10. And I go, yeah. I 10. A clock, uh, p.m. And 10 p.m. I, and yeah. you're dressed up ready to go. And he's, Did he think maybe you're uh, reverting back to your party girl times? No. Okay. You sure? I, I wouldn't want to do that. I was kidding. <laughs> but he just came in and goes, are we going somewhere? And I said, no, you're not. But I got to go to Brooklyn, sign in, get my paperwork done. And four, um, been assigned to Ground Zero. No, you haven't. Yes, I have. And don't we usually discuss things? I says, yeah, but you've been too busy. I always try to get out of these things. And I said, well, I'm going. And he looked at me and goes, I don't want you to go. And I said, well, where would you be? And he, he drove and me. He, he didn't want you to go. He was afraid. Because yeah. he's afraid of everything you were going to be even actually, to. well, what I do with her, my daughter, and I go, she's 16. She knows how to put herself to sleep. But what if you're not here in the morning? She knows how to get herself to school. And he goes, but, but, but and I go, no more buts, honey. I'm going because you were there. I want to be there, too. I want to help. We got into the car, and he would not speak to me. We got to Brooklyn, and he opened the door, and he said, you sure I can't convince you? I said, uh, will you stop going? And he got back in the car and said, I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. I said, good. I said, we're not winning any fight here. It's just something I need to do. And once you understand that, you won't have a problem with me going down. And he didn't after that. That concludes part one of our conversation with Sonia Agron. And I really hope you'll listen to part two that's now available. As her heroism, it's just getting started. But... If you don't, make sure you join the Army of Normal Folks at normalfolks.us and sign up to become a member of the movement. It only takes committing to doing one new thing this year to help others, and there will be a ton of awesome ideas on this podcast from the folks we're featuring. Some of them may resonate with you deeply and others may not at all, and that's okay because we're called to do different things. By signing up, you'll also receive a weekly email with short episode summaries in case you happen to miss an episode or you prefer reading about our incredible guests. Together, we can change the country, but it starts with you. I'll see you in part two. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. 
featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity.